0: Welcome to a Healing Peace Podcast. My name is Kimir Baker. I am an overcomer, writer, speaker, and God enthusiast. I am fueled by helping women achieve their emotional healing so that they can live the abundant life God has for them. In this podcast series, we provide faith-based inspiration to men from emotional hurt, along with tools and tips for emotional wellness. In your journey, as you apply these tools and tips, you will begin to live the transformed life that you always desired. In fact, you will possess a new you. Welcome back, ladies. It has been so exciting to be with you guys and to have you on this journey. As we've been learning how to stay positive, I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast where we talked about being able to say things that strengthen us. As I promised, I have a friend here today who is just going to encourage our spirits and help us to think through things that we can do in a practical way to maintain our emotional wellness during this season. Because I know it's been difficult. It's been, oh, and we're just going to talk about it today.
1: Mm -hmm. Beverly, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kamir. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. And who cannot walk away from a podcast where the host is so energetic and joyful? So my name is Beverly Ozan. I like people to call me Bev because I feel like if you use Beverly, I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, but I have been married to my husband, Steve, for almost 42 years. I have been walking with Jesus since I was just two weeks shy of the age of 19. So 45 years as a disciple of Jesus. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that one of the questions Kamir asked me to answer was, how long have I been a counselor slash therapist? Professionally, I graduated with master's degree in December of, I think it was 2009, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I got a dual psychology and theology master's degree in family and marriage counseling. Oh wow! So professionally, I've been doing counseling since then. And I kind of got in the field of addiction treatment and started out working with youth first, youth and families who struggle with addiction and dual diagnosis, mental health disorders. But even prior to that, I had a heart to want to be in counseling from my early years as a Christian. But God had a put me through the proving ground before I could really be effective in this ministry of counseling and helping people. One of my first social services jobs was working in the field of parole and probation in the city of Baltimore, and that involves some counseling. Of course, you're an ad for the criminal, and I really loved that job. But then over the years, my husband and I have done what I would refer to as more pastoral counseling, Mm. applying the Bible to couples and marriages and families. We have facilitated things like parenting groups, dynamic marriage groups, grief and loss groups over the years. And I'm thankful that my husband encouraged me to jump out and get the master's degree I started it in 2006, and yes, I did finish in 2009. I just feel so much more equipped to be able Mm. to help people because of that. I think that it's a God-given desire to be able to be a people helper. And one of the most rewarding experiences, I think, for me is helping people find their way back to their relationship with God. When they messed up with life so much through addiction or alcoholism or other addictive behaviors, and to have them rediscover the power that there is in connecting with God through the Bible, through renewed faith, and seeing them have a victory over these addictions or even these family issues, to be able to provide solutions and encouragement through the Bible and to pray with people has been. Some of the most rewarding things that I've done as a counselor and will continue to do that.
0: Well, I definitely appreciate you sharing that because I am a Jesus lover, people who've been listening to me for some time. but I think one of the things that you said, which really encourages my spirit, is that you get the opportunity to see a person go through that transformation process when they're linking to God and they're allowing him to take more guidance in their lives instead of the things that we lust after or can't help ourselves but to jump into. And so it's always exciting for me to hear other people see that connection. I know I'm excited because I know his power and I know what he's done in my life to help me to get to this place, to the place of being able to talk to you guys about, hey, how can we have victory? And hopefully the things that we share today is not as deep as some of the things that Bev has experienced with in terms of addictions in that nature, but we're going to just take a step back and look at small things that we can do in our everyday life while we're in isolation and how to have victory over our emotions and our thoughts and all those things that can kind of plague us. And before I start asking my questions, I was talking to someone else, and I want to clarify that the things that we share today, not everything is going to fit for what you are going through in your life right now. That is understood. But I pray and I hope that you still listen. And there may be small things that make sense, that is applicable. And go for it. Put it into practice. And also tell your friends, hey, check this out. Listen this may be something to help you get through this difficult time that we're having. And so I wanted to start with the most common question is what is typical of responses for being in isolation and dealing with how the world has readjusted itself? What are some of the things that you've seen people discuss and talk about as they try to manage what's been going on?
1: Well, okay, that's a really good question. And I think some of this could be age-related too. I have an 89-year-old mother who tends to worry a lot, not as much about herself as she does about her adult children. And are they going to get this disease? And are they going to survive? And how are they going to do getting through this? So I know as mothers, especially of adult children and who are isolated, my mom lives on her own, although she's not too far from my oldest brother, they're still practicing social distancing from Mm -hmm. each other. So the tendency is for anybody, though, in all honesty, is to worry. I think that very few of us have been untouched by this in one way or another, because I've got family members who are first responders. They're either doctors or nurses or EMTs. One of my brothers is on the front line in D.C., with a testing tent, he's an administrator at a hospital. And so some of them are feeling the stress of long hours and being exposed repeatedly Mm. to other people's disease. So we've got that end of worry and stress. We've got the worry and stress of people who've lost their jobs. Right. And what does this mean? And I've been put on furlough. And how long is this going to last? How long are we going to be expected to stay away from work or live without any kind of income coming in of any significance? And there's just a lot of questions out there. There's a lot of confusion. And one, there's the anxiety of all of this. And we have more questions than we have answers. Mm -hmm. And two is depression. Mm -hmm. I'm lonely. I can't connect with people. Some people are very much extroverts, and this is very hard on them. Like I am so used to touching people and hugging people and hugging people that it's really hard. I know you miss the hugs. So do I. Miss yes. the- them. I am touchy boy. I'm a touchy person. Oh yes, ma'am. Me too. It's interesting because you said, "Well, let's not put us on video while we're talking," and I'm like whoa, I connect with people through facial expressions and body language and all that. I can hear you laughing right now. So yeah. then we have audio because yeah. even the written word, if we don't read it correctly in the manner that it was intended for us can trigger yeah. attitudes. Well, what did they mean by that? Oh, you know, for sure. So if we're texting people or yeah. emailing people, Some of our stuff may not be well-received on the opposite end because they can't read the heart where it was coming from. So I just want to remind people of that. So probably the number one or the top things that people are going through are anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And then I think that you mentioned it too, grief. Yeah. People are losing their jobs. Right. Or they're losing family members to this disease. They have people that are stuck in nursing homes and they're not allowed to go see them or people go into the hospital. And we can't have the normal way of connecting by going and visiting. It's a very challenging time for everyone, I think, in one manner or another.
0: Yeah. And all the things that you shared, I've definitely have had some experiences with it. If it's not myself or friends and family, And that's why I wanted to take this time to kind of address those top three that you talked about, the grief, anxiety, and depression, because I know in general, it's a battle to maintain your emotions in the way that you think. But now in these extreme circumstances, it's like, it's heightened and it's like, oh, times a thousand. And so I wanted to give our audience an opportunity to kind of take a step back and first know that you're normal in terms of how you respond to these things and to not feel like, Oh, I should be better. I shouldn't have these thoughts. And it's like, because of the depth and the magnitude of what we're experiencing, they're going to be there. Yep. They're just going to be there. But what we want to try to accomplish is to not allow those fears, those thoughts to suffocate you from living your everyday life.
1: And yeah. that's why we're here. We don't talk about that. Well, yep, we need to talk about it.
0: Yeah. All right. We really do. Let's go with the grief perspective. I remember I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, and I was saying because of losing jobs and, and losing your way of life, that that's a form of grief. Absolutely. And, yeah, and the person responded, well, how is that grief? So <sighs> I figured that would be the first good
1: question to ask you. Can you describe what is grief? Yes. Thank you for asking that question because honestly, we're all experiencing moderate to high levels of stress and loss. And I would call this time very traumatizing for many people. And a lot of people think, oh, well, post traumatic stress, and we're not even going to call it a disorder right now, and we're not even past, we're in the midst of some stressful situations, and Alan Wolfelt, who's a grief expert in Colorado, has called or referred to post-traumatic stress as traumatic grief, traumatic grief and loss. These things are coming out of the blue, blindsiding us. We're being knocked upside the head. Some of us have lost family members and so forth. So traumatic grief, and it's a time of confusion. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross described grief with five different stages. These are not stages like sending a rocket up into space, stage one drops off, never to be seen again. Uh, That's a good one. These these are facets of emotions that we go through that we can come back around and re-experience as we're working through them. So They're in no particular order, and they don't have to happen in any order, but I'll start with the way she typically does, and the first one is denial. That's like shock or numbness. How can this be happening? We're stunned. We kind of feel nothing, but this shock, this almost frozen feeling, and I think you described a friend feeling paralyzed the day she found that she was laid off. Who could have expected this? And so we can be stuck in that too. Like, I don't know what to feel. I can't cry. I can't think. I'm just shocked. How could this have happened to me? How could this have happened to a family member or whatever? There's the feeling of anger. Yeah. And anger is definitely a secondary emotion to pain or hurt. So anger... How could they do this to me? I'm a great worker. Or how could this have happened to my family? Or how could this have happened to my loved one or me? I've taken all these precautions and we just kind of get mad. Sometimes we get mad at God, oh, which God. I find very common is just this, why me? Why, why are we going through this? This is stupid. Is this really what we need to be doing? I'm experiencing financial ruin. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose everything. This is very scary. So Anger comes out of fear as well. Then there's bargaining. The bargaining stage often is this, I'm replaying and replaying and replaying over and over again events that happened and how could the confusion of and trying to work through, how could this have happened and who's to blame? And that's kind of where we ruminate or we replay these things, kind of reliving them over and over in our head trying to sort out the reason behind things that have happened, you know. And then there's depression, this feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and worthlessness that come along with the trauma in our lives. And that all gets mixed together. We can come back around each one of those. But working through that, the whole point of grief is you can't avoid it. You have to work through it. And the Goal is to get to a point of acceptance. This is my new normal. I can be happy again. I'm going to be okay. And so those are the classic Elizabeth Kubler Ross stages of grief that people experience. And part of my story is when I was 25, I gave birth to a child, a healthy baby girl named Charlotte. And Charlotte lived. For about seven weeks, and then she died of sudden infant death syndrome. Oh, wow. So definitely a traumatic grief event. And it was a journey to work through all of that. So one of the things that I did was I made sure that I talked about it, but it really was something I didn't even know help was out there for grief. And I got caught up in the shock and the numbness feeling like, oh, we're doing fine. We're okay. So I didn't seek help. And we went on ahead and tried to have another child. And really, I wasn't emotionally prepared for that. And I don't think my body was either. So we went on and we had a son who was born premature at 32 weeks gestationally, and he didn't make it either. He lived about three weeks in the NICU. And so I develop post-traumatic stress, and I'm going to call it post-traumatic stress injury. Psychologists Mm. and psychiatrists are changing the way we call that because with PTSD, it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you that is prompting this traumatic grief that we experience even in events like this COVID virus thing, because we feel That we thought we had control over the world and now we don't. And what's going to happen? And is everybody going to die that I care about? And so, for me, how I worked through this grief and loss, I mean, I was afraid a few things. One, what if I never get to be a mom? Mm -hmm. And I remember turning to my relationship with God, and as I was putting my daughter's things up in the closet, asking that question. And the small, still voice, I believe, of the Holy Spirit came back to me. Even if you never get to be a mom, have plenty of important things to do with your life that will have meaning. Hmm. And being a mom was something that my identity was wrapped up in too. And then I also remember thinking, well, God, what if everybody I care about dies? I don't know if I can handle this pain and this loss. And then I was reminded that, you know what, God is never going to leave me and he's never going to forsake me. He'll always be there for me. So even if people that I love and care about have to move on to the next spiritual realm, to heaven, I still have my relationship with God and nobody can take that from me. And that gave me a great sense of peace. But combined with that, too, I was reminded when we went to a church service, our daughter died on a Sunday morning, and we were able to get to church, and the pastor quoted from Job 13, I believe the verse is 17, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And when I heard that, I thought, you know what? I have to trust in God. Where Mm -hmm. else am I going to go? And that was a decision that I made. Another thing that was helpful to me is when... We got home from the hospital the day our daughter died. I looked at my husband and I said, what are we going to do now? And he said, well, I think we need to pray. And so we got down on our knees and he prayed and then I prayed. And what came to me was a scripture, Romans 8, 28, that says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And part of my prayer was God. Our daughter dying is not good. Please help me see good things come from it. And I think that looking for the good and having that mindset for me was really helpful through all the blur and the shock and the numbness of having that help me see good come from the bad things that happen in life. And that really has been something for me moving forward from that time is really looking for good over the years, studying out and trying to figure out how am I going to manage my flashbacks, my panic attacks, my oh, nightmares. One, yes. I went to a grief group for parents who had lost children, and please, there are many grief groups out there that we can go to. And that was one of the most helpful things I did. As I heard other people sharing a common set of emotions I remember having this sort of sigh of relief. Oh, this is normal. Yeah. This is normal, what I'm going through, because I really thought I was losing my mind. And then to hear other families talking about a shared experience and how they were working through it, and some of them were ahead of me in the process, ahead of my husband. It was just like, There are answers. Help is out there. Thank you, God. So, connecting with other people, even if it's just through Zoom or some other FaceTime or some other platform where we can see each other and hear each other, or standing 10 feet away or six feet away from a friend and having a conversation, even though you can't touch, but being in proximity to each other is really key. I think we need each other, people have been so helpful over the years and talking about what I feel and having other people say, me too, and this Mm -hmm. is what helped me has been probably one of the greatest helps there. I could go on and on about things that helped me. -hmm. I think about Philippians chapter four, which became a touchstone for me in dealing with panic attacks Philippians chapter 4 talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Remember, God is near. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Therefore, think about these things. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. When I read that in context with my loss and my panic attacks, one of the things that first caught my attention was hey, don't worry is a command. (laughs) So it's possible to not worry. And that's exciting. So, okay, Paul, how do I do that? So he says, do not worry. But pray with thanksgiving and make your requests known to God and the peace will follow. So I thought, okay, I came up with a mantra. You know how they had this stop, drop, and roll when -hmm. you catch fire? Well, I was like, okay, I'm going to catch the fire of anxiety because I could bring on a panic attack by having one. So I came up with this mantra, stop, drop, and pray with thanksgiving and it was a shift away from focusing on the things that were triggering the panic to well what do i need to think about the very essential thing is i've got a lot to be grateful for and that's where i wanted to go and it really it was revolutionary for me when i would begin to feel a panic attack come on it was my stimulus to stop and drop and pray with thanksgiving and get my mind on what i needed to because I couldn't control the things that I was worried about. Nobody controls who lives or dies. Nobody's gonna control the outcome of all this, but God knows and God cares. And that gave me great encouragement. And literally, over time, and as I practiced that, as I put that into practice, the peace of God that transcends all understanding took over. And in psychology, We talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. We talk about cognitive distortions and cognitive restructuring. And those are all fancy terms for mind change. And Romans 12 talks about how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if we get stuck in some of these facets of grief, for me, that replaying and replaying and replaying of these awful events, produced more and more panic. And once I realized that me going back and thinking through everything and replaying it was, to quote someone I read way back when, an exercise in futility, because none of it was ever going to bring my daughter back to me. So what did I need to think about? So I think about if I lost my job, or if my spouse lost a job, and we're not going to have that income. I need to get busy and think about how can I get through this? How can we get through this? What do we need to do to get help? Because help is out there. Hmm. And just even talking it through with other people, I think it's amazing how when you share this hurt Hmm. and this concern that we're going through right now with others, sometimes they have some ideas that you didn't know about. And I think that's been my experience. I love group therapy, self-help groups, because that shared time, there are people going through the same things that may just be ahead of you that have such wisdom with, okay, here's some action items, some things we can think about that are going to be helpful, like Philippians 4, 8 says. Think about these things instead of those. That's cognitive restructuring, by the way. Instead of thinking about what's ailing you or what's hurting you or what's concerning you, what can I think instead? And even having some answers to the questions are very helpful when we go through grief and loss and normalizing that too. You're not crazy. This is very normal, the feelings that we have, but we just have to work through them. Sure. I guess I'll take the breath there. (laughs) I I was like, whoa, she said a lot.
0: And I was taking notes as you were speaking because just to try to highlight some of the major points that you brought through what you were sharing. And the top things that I wrote down was conversations, being able to figure out a way to connect and share your experiences. And by doing that, also having others share their experiences, you get to see that you're not alone. And I think that's very important. The other thing that you talked about, which I think is instrumental, is that you, in dealing with your loss, you had to wrestle with God. Yes. It wasn't something where it was like, oh God, I, I believe you today. and Okay. Thank you. But I appreciate what you shared because you see the evolution of keep going back. you got to keep going back. you got to keep going back and keep laying these things at his feet and keep reinforcing his truth to get you to that place of wholeness. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. And also, too, because I'm seeing that we're running out of time. And what I would like to kind of focus a little bit more, if you come back, please come back, is talking through some basic things. You started that, but I want to flush it out a little bit more of that cognitive behavior restructuring, that mind change, and okay. flush through a little bit more of those practicals that you were giving us because I know that it's difficult to do it every day sometimes. Yes. I'm able to come up with some practical things that we can do so that we feel like we're being successful and this period is not suffocating us.
1: So within that, would you please come back? Oh, sure. Okay, great. So
0: for those who are listening, please come back next week and we'll hear more from Bev in terms of how to get to that place of mind change and shifting. And I also would like to add that what I'm going to do for the next two weeks is continue my little playlist. I've got some good reviews. People like my little music. And so every Friday, I'm going to do a little playlist. and I think it's a good way for me to let you guys know that I'm still thinking about you guys and instilling something positive in your thoughts.
1: So come back next week. We're going to have a great time. Thank you for listening.